Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. We've got interesting guests for you today, as always. Kevin Kugler is going to join us. He joined us earlier this season. He's great. Westwood won NFL play-by-play on Sunday nights, does some Fox TV as well for the National Football League. In fact, he's doing a game this week with Tampa Bay and Tennessee, so that'll be interesting to talk about. And just did that Dallas-Philly game on Sunday, which the Cowboys won, snapping a three-game losing streak. Andre Ware is going to join us, as he often does, and today a little bit of a twist because it's the 30th anniversary celebration of when the Cougs in 1989 helped lead Andre to that Heisman season, or did he lead them to that Heisman season? He insists it's an ensemble effort. Remember, they were on probation that year, so the Heisman was a team trophy, and Andre made sure of that, that all his brethren on the Houston Cougars that year could share in the fun. Not that they all have Heisman trophies in their house, but that that was their season to help lead a Heisman campaign because they couldn't go to a bowl that year. So cool stuff. We'll talk to him about that. They're honoring him, a Thursday night honor. You might be listening to this after that, but that's the plan or was the plan to honor the Cougs of 1989 at the Thursday night game against SMU, which they decimated in 89. So let's uh, just see what happens there. And maybe you already know the result. All right, Freddy's Frozen Custard and Steak Burgers is part of this deal. With 16 locations, two new locations opening soon in Wallaceville or on Wallaceville Road and in Huntsville. And the new food truck is custom designed to bring the steak burgers, fries, and frozen custard you love to your event. Freddy's Original Double Steak Burger is a real game changer. Well, I'll tell you who's a game changer. is Kevin Kugler. And we start off here. Asking about the Dallas Cowboys and Eagles game, and does that mean the Cowboys are back? Had they ever left? Were they ever here in the first place? Let's check in with Kevin. That's a good question, because if you'd asked me that before that Eagles game, I would have said, I don't know where they are. They've lost three straight. They looked terrible in doing it. Um, And then this past weekend, they put consistent pressure on Carson Wentz. He never had a chance to breathe. The offense was going at a high pace. I think you have to say they've figured something out based on that one game. Now, we'll see if they figured something out in back-to-back-to-back games, but at least for the moment, the Cowboys appear to have figured something out, and they've given the Eagles a lot to think about because the Eagles are in a little trouble right now. Well, you had Kansas City a few weeks ago, and you don't have them this Sunday because you're going to do a Fox TV game, but what do you make of what the Chiefs are going through overall with Matt Moore playing quarterback for a while? Boy, that's and, and they got lucky because with the Mahomes injury, you thought this could be season-ending. sounds like it's just going to be a few weeks. They may get him back as early as their game in Mexico City against the Chargers in mid-November. But they've got to just figure out a way to hold this thing together, kind of you know, bailing wire and string and just sort of tie everything together to try to hang on until Patrick Mahomes gets back. Maybe it's that defense that will be able to handle the load. If you can – limit what is going to happen to you on the uh, on the offensive side from the other team makes the job a lot easier for Matt Moore. At least he has experience. He looked decent in the uh, opportunity he had last week after the Mahomes injury, but now it's a different animal. Now you have to come out and start against one of the hottest teams in football in the Green Bay Packers and certainly one of the best quarterbacks the game's ever seen in Aaron Rodgers. Kevin Kugler joining us. All right, on Fox, you have Tennessee and Tampa Bay, right? And this could yeah. have been number one versus number two quarterbacks drafted in 2015, but Ryan Tannehill has taken Mariota's spot. What do you think of this one going in? Boy, it's, it's an interesting matchup, and there's a lot of storylines because for Tampa, the question is, at two and four, where are they going? And are they really going to go anywhere this year with Bruce Arians in his first year, or is he just going to decide at some point before the trading deadline 
to get rid of what they can and start to rebuild for next year or years down the road. Tennessee clearly isn't giving up, and their offense was as good last week with Ryan Tannehill as it's been at any point this season. He had his best quarterback rating in 24 games. He really distributed the ball well, got his receivers involved, and there's some talent receiver, as you know, with that Tennessee team. If they're able to get that kind of offense then maybe they can turn things around as this season goes along. They're clearly still in contention in the division. You guys know that better than anybody. But this is a Tennessee team that I think this is a big crossroads game for both of these teams. Who comes out on top of this one? It may determine what their outlook is for the good portion of the remainder of this season. All right, Kevin, you do NFL games everywhere, and you've done some in this building. Preseason is one thing. I know you've done some regular season here at NRG Stadium. And so aside from this – NFL atmospheres, what do you like? What really captivates you as an announcer? What do you find really moving an atmosphere to be in around this league? Well, I enjoy, the, I enjoy when the crowd gets involved. I grew up in, the, in a college football world, and so when you can find a crowd that really gets involved in the game, they're not just – it's not a some, – some NFL cities have a, a corporate feel to their game. You know, a lot of folks that are there, you know, just to hang out and be seen – Houston is not one of those places. Green Bay is not one of those places. Kansas City, Seattle, those are some loud, engaged environments. For me, as a broadcaster who goes in most of the time without any rooting interest one way or the other, it's, it's better and it's more entertaining for me when you've got a crowd that's into the game, that's living and dying with every play. And there are, that's not always the case around the league. There are a select few cities that the crowd really does a good job of becoming engaged in that game. And that's, to me, as a broadcaster, you can kind of feed a little bit off the excitement of the crowd. Their energy, their buzz in the stadium kind of gets you revved up a little bit. Kevin Kugler joining us. All right, so you're from Nebraska, and you're not old, but you're not Gen Z either. So you tell me, is Nebraska, does it feel like a Big Ten school now in your opinion, what is the feel like in Lincoln, in Omaha, all around the state? Uh, I don't think it's quite there yet, to be honest with you, Mark. I mean, it's 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 getting there. It's better than it was five years ago, but it's still, you know, I I, I always enjoyed Nebraska, Oklahoma. Heck, I enjoyed Nebraska, Kansas State. I mean, those were those were games that you grew up on in college football. Any of us of a certain age, the game was always. Nebraska, Oklahoma on Thanksgiving weekend. That sort of signaled the end of the year. It signaled bowl season time, and it signaled a a great game after you stuffed yourself full of Thanksgiving turkey. That game doesn't happen anymore, and Nebraska plays Iowa the day after Thanksgiving, and we're actually broadcasting that game on Big Ten Network. And it's getting there, and it will be 20 to 30 years from now. I think it'll be a great rivalry, border states and all that, but it's still a work in progress trying to get that switch and it's going to take time. It's just going to take generations growing up as a Big Ten school. And I think what would also help is if Nebraska became a little more than competitive in the Big Ten Conference. They have not exactly lived up to their end of the bargain as far as competing for Big Ten division or conference championships yet. Once they do that, I think you get all that tied together. But for right now, it just sort of feels like you know, there's sort of a half-hearted hug. It's like that second cousin that you see once a year, and you kind of give them a hug at the reunion, but you're really not sure what they're doing or why they're there, and they're not sure about you either. It's kind of that feeling with Nebraska and the Big Ten still. All right, compare and contrast atmospheres, Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State, when they're good, when they're good. I'm not asking which one's the best necessarily, unless you feel like answering it, but 
I got to feel like I got to think there's a difference between all these. I've been to Penn State when they're good, and that is special. What are your thoughts? Yeah, Michigan probably because of the build of the stadium, not because of the passion of the fan base. When they're all good and they're all packed in, Michigan's probably third on the list, even though it's the biggest, because the way the bowl is built, the sound just sort of drifts up. It never really feels like it's deafening. When you go to Penn State for a big game like they had this past weekend with the whiteout, that's loud and it's crazy and it's, it is, it's nuts there. Ohio State is right there in the middle, in my opinion. They are very loud. They're always there. I mean, you, no matter who they're playing or when the game is, that place is going to be full of people because they know their team is likely going to win, especially these days. But for me, of those three teams that you mentioned, I'll answer it. I, I think Penn State, when they're good and when it's a big game, that place is as good as any place in college football. Outstanding. All right, what is your favorite place to broadcast a college basketball game? What's the best home court for you, being objective uh, as you are? I, 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 can, I can be objective on this. Allen Fieldhouse, University of Kansas, is one of the best venues, regardless of sport, to broadcast a game. You have all the history. You have the creepy rock chalk Jayhawk chant. You have all of the, the history and the, and the talent that has played at and is currently playing at Kansas. They always seem to be having great games. The crowd is always into the game. For me, Allen Fieldhouse, if you were to rank basketball venues in college, it's probably number one on my list. That's my number one, too. I've only done one game there, but it was deafening. I could not hear myself, and that was no, outstanding. No, you actually. can't. You can't ever hear yourself at that place. It's just deafening. You can feel the table shaking a little bit when they really get going. It's, it's fantastic. And you're right. When you walk the halls before the game and Wilt Chamberlain, and I mean, James Naismith coached there. I mean, that's ridiculous. So... You get that uh, that picture. All right, Kevin Kugler joining us. Now, tell me something about the College World Series. I know you're very familiar with this event because you've done it many times. Have you done it almost every time, Kevin, since you started doing it a long time I, ago? I, I do them all. Every, okay. every game, every inning, every, I'm there for the whole, the whole kit and caboodle. All right, so what do people not know about this event that they need to if they've never been? What do they need to know about the College World Series? Uh, it's it's still the most laid-back major NCAA championship. So what I mean by that is you can show up that day, you can find a ticket, you can wait in line, you can sit in the GA section, you can enjoy a game. It doesn't feel like it is, you know, and I love the Final Four. I've been fortunate enough to, to call the Final Four for a long time now. But it, it always has a, a little more of a corporate atmosphere to it. You're in a giant football stadium, 75,000 people, lots of folks walking around. College World Series is much more of a still a relaxed summer event. And if LSU is here, you can all, don't eat before you come to the ballpark if LSU is in the College World Series because they're going to have food waiting for you in the parking lot. They bring their food up to tailgate, and I promise you you're going to find – some of the best gumbo and some of the best crawfish because they bring it with them and they cook it right there in the parking lot. It's it's one of my favorite parts of the College World Series when LSU's here. I was lucky enough to be there when Nebraska was in. Gosh, I want to say it was for the first time or something like that. It was it was in the early O's. It was maybe one mm -hmm. of the only times, and it was nuts. I mean, it, it was like a football game there with all the tailgating and everything. When, when Nebraska's in, they've been in three times, not since 2005, but it's the loudest I've ever heard of the College World Series because it becomes a 
look, Nebraska football crowds are legendarily good. They've shown up despite some some seasons that really haven't rewarded them much over the last several years. They keep showing up to that stadium. Mm-hmm. They showed up in a big way and cheered like a football game at the College World Series. Pretty remarkable. Excellent. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us, as always, and uh, have a great week of calls. I appreciate you having me on, Mark. Thanks so much. Kevin Kugler, Westwood One, Fox Sports TV for the National Football League, Big Ten Network, a whole bunch of other stuff, and I love visiting with him. Now let's get to Andre Ware. As the Texans are trying to clean up some mistakes they made against Indianapolis and even against the Chiefs and bounce back against the Raiders. And the Raiders, obviously, with Derek Carr coming in. Carr is having an okay year. Now, he was spectacular in 2016 before he got hurt. So what's the big difference with this quarterback? Once upon a time, a Houston resident, Clements Ranger player. What about Andre's thoughts on Derek Carr? Too much disconnect. I mean, I think Reggie McKenzie was doing a heck of a job of surrounding him with talent as a young player. And then all of a sudden, you know, you look at it, there have been players that are, are taken away from him. Amari Cooper was traded, you know, a playmaker on the defensive side of the ball that can help you get the ball back and more possessions. That was, He was traded to Chicago. I mean, it was just one after the other uh, that were, you know, escorted out of town. I actually think he has done a heck of a job with only Josh Jacobs behind him, essentially. I, I bet... There aren't many people that could name one, needless to say, two Raider receivers. It is tough to uh, to go down the list and just name a playmaker on that side of the ball. Yet he's throwing, you know, completing passes at a very high percentage, playing some of the best football of his career, and that not a lot is around Derek Carr. So I think it just shows you what type of player he actually is. Well, and also they are winning some games. They beat the Colts in Indy. They beat the Bears in London. What are they doing well, in your opinion, Trey? Well, I think when they uh, when they're winning, it's is that you know the things normal teams do is taking care of the football, not turning it over. The running game is working with Josh Jacobs, who's a three down back. You can leave him in the game. You really don't know what they're going to do because they don't take him out. Uh, he's a good receiver out of the backfield and a tough tough hard runner so uh with that being said it's just you know the the simple things that it takes to win in in uh, in the nfl running the football and not turning it over well Dre, the texans are trying to cut down on the penalties what do you think they need to do to do that and how can they take better care of the football in these games because that's been a bit of an issue they're even in the turnover margin right now yeah i think it's just uh a matter of discipline. You got to kind of be a little bit disciplined. The pre-snap penalties are really coming at some uh, inopportune times that that really hurt you. They're they're drive starters, or when you're in first down, you're living in first and fifteen because of false starts. You could take the effort penalty. They're going to be holes during a the game. They're going to be pass interference plays, and so on and so forth. But uh, when you look at it, you can't have on a critical third down where you're getting off the field, all of a sudden there's holding in the secondary. you got to play better in that regard. But on offense, the penalties that happen before the ball is snapped will drive coaches crazy, and those absolutely have to stop. Okay, so Raiders and Texans this Sunday at NRG Stadium. Around the division, the Titans get a win over the Chargers, and 
That was a bit of a surprise, really. Chargers unable to get the ball into the end zone late. The Buccaneers are going to be at Tennessee. What do you think of Ryan Tannehill with the Titans right now? Is this a bit of a resurrection for them? How long do you think it lasts? What do you think overall? It seems to be that way. I mean, I, I think uh, he kind of fits what, what Mike Vrabel wants to do. He's given him a, a, a spark, which is what uh, Coach Vrabel was looking for when he inserted him into the lineup. And I, and I think he gives him an element of consistency where they can actually throw the football and uh, and do it in an effective way throughout the course of a game. I think he threw for over over 300 yards in his first start there and and uh, and there was a difference in 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 beating the Chargers. Then defensively you flip it over there. They've got some talent on that football team on both sides of the ball. Melvin Gordon fumbling it from the 1-yard line that really sealed the deal for for Tennessee, but Tannehill is is a guy that has had some talent uh, he's had moment. He had moments when he was in Miami. I think the team believes in him, and 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 that's half the battle right there. Is when you can go into a game and you believe in the quarterback. You'll play hard for that guy, for for the guy under center. And I think that's what happened last week. Andre, we're with us. Drake, how good are the Patriots in your opinion? Is this the best Patriot team we've seen since '07 or in a long time, or is the schedule just too much in their favor right now to make that determination? What do you think? Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's the best Patriots team we've seen in a while because they keep adding uh, components to it, especially at at the receiver position where they, you know they 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 made a trade for Mohamed Sanu, who obviously before the draft they were trying to uh, trying to acquire as well to bolster a receiving core. But uh, I, I'm not sure it's the best best version of. It. I mean, the 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 tight end position without Gronk, they still would like to have Gronk come out of. Ironman and and uh, and put pads and a helmet back on and, and help them out. I think it's it's everything to do with with the schedule and where they're catching people. And they play in a division where you know you're going to win. You're going to beat Buffalo every year. You're going to beat the Jets every year. You know, so that's that's four wins right there uh, before you even you even uh, take a snap. And and you know you got Miami on the schedule as well. So uh, a weak division. Uh, and and others that they've played outside of the, the the division, they've they've been able to take care of as well. So I think it has every bit this early in the season to do with the with the with the schedule. I'm sorry, Andre, where with us, Andre. I want to transition to you and the 1989 Houston Cougars football team being honored 30th anniversary, the Thursday night ceremony. I always thought it was very interesting, and it says a lot about you, that winning the Heisman Trophy to you was a team thing. It was a team award. Can you speak to that a little bit? And I, I'm sure your teammates really appreciate that because you guys weren't able to get to a bowl that year because of things that happened in the program long before you were there. You know, it was we, we were just a close-knit bunch, and, and it's something that we all share in. And it may reside at my house, uh, but, you know, those guys know that they each and every one of them uh, – have a piece of it, and and we couldn't go to a bowl game that year, as you mentioned, for things that happened to to, to the program long before we uh, stepped foot on campus. But it was always a close knit bunch. Nobody transferred the NCAA. It was almost like they were trying to destroy programs in the Southwest Conference at that point in time because it was so long before we got there. Yet we couldn't play on television, couldn't go to uh, a bowl game. They gave us the option or every player a one-time transfer option, and not one single player left. And so, you know, it, it's just a brotherhood that we've always been able to kind of keep. And uh, there's a lot of respect in the locker room and, 
And I realized as well that I could not have done my job without the help of the other guys. And, and people forget just how, how how good we were on the defensive side of the ball with the number two ranked defense in the country. They got tons of turnovers. I think uh, Cornelius Price uh, led the nation. I know he led the nation that year, but I think he had somewhere around 12 interceptions uh, that year. So we were getting the ball back a lot on the offensive side of it because of the success that our defense had. So um, we, we played off one another, and uh, it was just a fun, fun team to play on and a fun group of guys to, to, uh, to suit up with each and every weekend, each and every day for that matter. All right, I want to take you through. Just give me a thumbnail on some of these games that took place that season. First of all, you beat UNLV in Vegas to start the campaign. That must have been fun. And then you go to Arizona State, so you had two games. i got to imagine it was not exactly cool autumn weather in either of those two. Do you remember that? One of the the, two of the hotter games that we played in, and I remember, I can't remember the the, the young man's name or the guy's name that played quarterback at UNLV, but I know he went to Jack Yates High School. And he provided some some really bulletin board material uh, before that game, which, you know, I think this, the final score, I know the final score was 69 to nothing the whole season. But, but uh, it was it was very motivating. A guy that was right from, from down the street that went, went to school at UNLV that was you know, talking a lot of trash, and and uh, we just we just had to go in and and take care of business. Then the Arizona State game uh, was as hot as it got. It all Pac-12 officials. We had a ton of yards and penalties because every time we made a play, it seemed like there was a flag on the field. We still still beat them pretty good. I think it was 36 to seven, somewhere around there. But uh, yeah, those were two two of the hotter games that I've ever played in. Okay, University of Texas at the Astrodome, forty-seven to nine. The Cougars beat the Longhorns. That had to be memorable, to say the least. Yeah, it was, and and uh, one of my favorite plays, or the favorite play of my college career, happened in that game where I uh, we 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 were, we worked on it all game all week long and practiced the sneaking David Klingler into the huddle and, and direct snapping to him as I was audibling and. Uh, pretending to audible and then walked out, ran a switch route down the sideline and, and caught a pass, a long pass in that, in that ball game. That was, uh, it wasn't a, a throw that I made that I remember most, but it was, it was catching that pass against Texas in the dome that, that was, that turned out to be my, my favorite play in, in, in college. 30th anniversary celebration. You're at Rice to cap off the season 60, only yeah. 64 to nothing. The victory now the Bayou Bucket, you win it. Was that the day you won the Heisman? It was. And uh, the thing about that is they, they had us in this small room at Rice Stadium. And, and uh, you know, big ups to Rice for, for allowing the announcement to take place there. And they made certain, you know, the, the accommodations they made for us to get that taken care of. was It just shows the, the class in which they operate there. But we we were we were all in this room and, and the offensive line and some of the receivers, Coach Pardee and myself, and and uh, when they announced it, it was just uh, it was just crazy. I mean, you, you wouldn't have ha- I wouldn't have had it happen any other way. Where I got to actually spend that time, that special time, and the announcement with uh, with my my uh, my teammates, it was like I, like we just talked about. It was every bit a part of theirs as it is mine. And uh, to to have it work out 
that way where the way it was announced was was uh, second to none. And it was December second. My gosh, it, that's like mid season yeah. now. It feels. <laughs> yeah, it was. That's probably the last time it will will happen, or was the last time where they moved it back a week to make sure that all games in the regular season have been played, and it's now the second week of December to, to make sure that uh, that all all uh, finalists are in New York uh, and seated for the for the presentation. So that was uh, it, it was just, it worked out exactly like it was supposed to. Well, congratulations once again, 30th anniversary celebration of the 1989 Cougars and the Heisman Trophy year. Dre, it's uh, it's wonderful to talk about it. Thanks so much for being with us. We look forward to seeing you Sunday. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. I'll see you there. Well, there it is, Andre Ware, and thanks to Kevin Kugler as well for being a part of the Vandermeer's View podcast. Today, don't forget, Texans Raiders, it's going to be a 325 kickoff on Sunday. So make note of that, 325 kickoff on Sunday. In fact, I hope I haven't been saying noon because I just, I'm so used to it with these home games. But if your ticket says noon, it's really 325. Make note of that and check out all the other podcasts right here wherever you got this one or wherever fine podcasts are available. Have a great day, everyone, and go Texans!